Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Megan McKimmy. And I'm Rachel Telford. Here are your grain headlines from March 15th. So we've uh, probably heard already that we have a new Minister of Agriculture and Agri-Food, Mary-Claude Beveau, and this week she uh, started her first agriculture tour and she went out to farms um, and she met farmers, processors and industry leaders. Um, And so that started off in British Columbia and ended in uh, Manitoba with stops in BC and Alberta. Um, So we're looking forward to her to come back out this way and uh, make some agriculture tour stops uh, in our area. Notable University of Guelph wheat breeder, Dr. Ali Navabi, passed away on March 10th. Navabi held the Grain Farmers of Ontario Professorship in Wheat Breeding since 2014 and had been teaching in the Department of Plant Agriculture for more than a decade. Navabi led and managed the very successful University of Guelph Wheat Breeding Program. He taught multiple undergraduate and graduate courses, advised 12 graduate students, and sat on over 25 graduate advisory committees. Recently, the Ontario Cereal Crop Committee supported for registration the first soft red winter wheat variety that came out of Navabi's program. In lieu of flowers, the family has suggested donations be made to the Canadian Cancer Society. The University of Guelph has announced that a tree will be planted in Navabi's honour in the Arboretum's Wall Coustance Memorial Forest. And we have uh, five stress management um, workshops coming up uh, that we wanted to let you know about, and we're pretty excited about this. Uh, Green Farmers of Ontario has been uh, working on more programming for farmer health. Um, So Green Farmers of Ontario, in partnership with Farm Credit Canada, um, is inviting farmers to attend these stress management workshops. As I said, there's five of them uh, in Woodstock, Chatham, Orangeville, New Liskard, and Brockville. Um, So those are kind of across the province, so I think it would be a great opportunity to get out to some of those. Um, If you would like to register, visit gfo.ca and check out those different locations and sign up. Coming up next on the podcast, we have a conversation with Erin McQueen, who recently completed the ASA Young Leader Program. Joining us on the podcast today is Erin McQueen, who recently completed the ASA Young Leader Program, sponsored by Carteva AgriScience, the Agriculture Division of Dow DuPont. Thanks for joining us today, Erin. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And Erin, we always like to start these podcasts out learning a little bit more about you. So can you tell us about your farm and your background in agriculture? Yeah, so I'm a first-generation grain farmer um, from uh, Fisherville, which is in the center of Haldeman County. Um, I live there with uh, my wife. Uh, She does not directly work on the farm, but definitely uh, supports me in it. And my parents uh, grew up in Burlington, and so they they weren't farmers. They moved uh, to the country before I was born. And so I did grow up on a farm property, but but not per se on a working farm. So um, it's a, a unique opportunity that I kind of enjoy being first generation because you don't you don't find too many of those in the industry. But it, it gives me a unique perspective, and I also uh, uh, I don't have to deal with a lot of those family dynamics. Uh, many of my uh, my colleagues do uh, uh, for sure. So, and what's on your farm? What are you growing? I grow corn, soybean, and wheat. And then actually uh, this year just uh, just diversified a little bit into sheep. So we'll see how that goes as well. Sheep, how come you decided to go that route? Uh, new experiment. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, my, my goal is to see how much cheap feed I can make off uh, an acre that has already produced a cash crop. So kind of, uh, kind of free feed. And uh, it's uh, basically yeah, an experimental project. We'll see how it goes. Maybe it won't be successful. But I like, uh, I like something interesting to, to try out. So. 
And how did you, I think that's really neat, your story about being a first-generation farmer. Can you just tell us a bit more about um, maybe going to school and, and how you learned more and, and got into that position? Yeah, so uh, I always loved the agriculture, you know, growing up in the community. In high school, I had, had jobs, um, you know, involved in agriculture and, and doing field work and, and really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, af- after high school, you got to pick what you're going to do in life and I didn't really know other than I enjoyed agriculture, so I went to Ridgetown College, uh, studied there for two years, and um, that that was great. Uh, made a lot of connections. Um, uh, the classes were great, uh, especially for me. I had had very little background, very little knowledge when I headed off to college. Uh, you know about actual actual production agriculture and how to grow crops, right? Um, and at the same uh, time, in the summer between my two years at uh, Ridgetown College. I worked as a crop scout um, for one of the egg retails, and that was a phenomenal uh, experience. Uh, I worked with a very good agronomist who uh, was a, was a great mentor to me, and that really sparked my um, really sparked my interest in agronomy, um, which is where I ended up as a, a profession. So, and you're actually a certified crop advisor. That's right. Yes. And you have your 4R designation? Correct, yes. And so why did you take that extra step? We actually just did a podcast on 4R and, and sort of the need to get more people involved in that program. What's your take on it? Yep. So um, the reason I took it, I mean, you, you know, I can see definitely looking into the future, it's going to be important. And the first year they offered it was free. So I thought, <laughs> oh, why not? Yeah. Um, and, and you know, specifically, I haven't been super involved with the 4R now that I'm not um I do private crop consulting, so I'm not involved in egg retail, which is primarily where the 4R is being driven through. Um, so I haven't directly done a lot with, per se, 4Rs, other than, you know, in general, as a CCA, when I'm making uh, crop recommendations, it, it pretty much all is 4Rs, yeah. uh, whether we realize it or not, right? Mm-hmm. So I definitely, the, the thing I like about 4Rs is it's it's um, voluntary. So as, as farmers, we hate uh, legislation and rules and, and all that type of stuff where it's a, it's a voluntary program, whether you want to participate or not. And, you know, it's a, a very good step on showing the industry how, how we're doing, doing things well and really ex- exceeding minimum standards. As a young farmer, and this is an area that Green Farmers tries to support as much as possible, but what do you find is, is a big challenge for you? Yeah, so initially when I started, uh, it was it was accessing uh, capital. Um, and, and part of that was because when I started, I was 18. So uh, that was also age, not not just a uh, beginning farmer. That was initially the, the biggest hurdle. Uh, FCC, you know, is typically the, the popular lender in, in farming here. Um, they require um, land as, as collateral typically before they're going to lend you. And um, you know, if you start out and you don't own land, well, then that's, that's an issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so that was probably the biggest issue uh, initially. And I guess we should maybe start talking a little bit about that ASA Young Leader Program now. Um, initially, what piqued your interest about the program? Why did you apply? <laughs> the, the trip to Florida in February. <laughs> <laughs> Good reason, <laughs> especially this year. Yeah, I, I knew it, it wasn't uh, an opportunity that would come along uh, very often in, in life and even more than the program, I just knew it'd be an awesome opportunity to network with with growers from a very diverse uh, spectrum, and uh, definitely found that uh, to be true. So it's a two part program. You start off in Johnson, Iowa, um, at the headquarters there uh, for 
is it Pioneer still? Yep. Sometimes you have to make sure that we're saying <laughs> yeah, the right, te- te- technically the right uh, company name. It's going to have a headquarters now, I guess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was that program experience like? What was that about? Yeah. So that was great. Um, we did quite a bit of in, in classroom sessions, learning, you know, different aspects of leadership. Uh, one of the main things we did was, uh, uh, they call it a, a disc workplace assessment, which is a lot like a personality uh, test. And so that was uh, very interesting. Um, gives you a full page write up um, after you complete the survey on, um, you know, your characteristics. And um, it's a little scary because it, there was not one I disagreed with. <laughs> um, but that, that was really helpful, uh, you know, to, to learn how to, to interact with, with other people and learn what, what drives them is different than what drives you. And uh, also understand why sometimes other people struggle with dealing with, with yourself um, because, you know, certain things drive you that, that don't drive them. Now, I know that um, spouses often go on this program and your wife wasn't able to attend with you, but did you have her do that disc assessment when you got home? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, actually, we, we definitely talked about that and I got back. We never made it happen, so we probably should. Uh, she, she definitely enjoyed reading mine, though, and uh, <laughs> Yeah, she definitely agreed with it. So that's that's what the instructor said. The uh, the ultimate test is, does your spouse agree with it? <laughs> <laughs> and did you have any other big takeaways from that first session? We also got to tour the uh, the, the Pioneer Research Facility while we were there because, you know, we were at, at the headquarters. And we had, we had a presentation from them just about the, the red tape and the cost to um, bringing forward new products and really how sometimes approval of the products is politically motivated as well and when we're talking especially internationally just as a company because because they're a publicly traded company they do have to you know be profitable um, generate revenue they have to make decisions on whether they're going to bring a product forward you know if it's going to bring them enough return and sometimes the cost of bringing these products out even though it's a good product for the farmer it it's um it's become prohibitively expensive to bring these products forward to market and so that was that was probably my biggest takeaway from from that whole session it's pretty eye-opening um and so you mentioned florida the the second part of uh your trip was going down to the commodity classic and and what did you learn while you're down there yeah so again we uh we had uh several classroom sessions the first couple of days and then um, uh, we, we also had uh, a couple of days to partake of the, the show and uh, kind of the unique thing in the commodity classic is they do have a lot of uh, not just the trade show but also um, learning events on the side in, in session rooms and, and such so it was good to partake of those as well and one of, one of the big sessions we had in, in the classroom was uh, uh, about you know communicating with consumers and, and um, you know, a lot of the, the classic discussions of GMOs and glyphosate and, and all that type of stuff. Um, and so that was um, uh, pretty interesting. We did a lot of uh, role playing and, and um, uh, you know, working on dialogue and, you know, how to n- not be confrontational. Um, and then sure enough, two days later, I got to kind of put, put that into a, to a practice with a, with a bartender, actually. So it was, uh, it was, it was a great experience to, to go through that and just learn how to be a little more polished on that. So what was that conversation like with the bartender? Yeah, so he was actually bartending the ASA alumni reception. And so he wanted to know what we were all doing there. So uh, I started telling him and then he started saying, well, I hope, you know, you don't use uh, GMOs and, and Roundup. And I've really been aware the past year not to buy Roundup and it's killing the earth and and all that type of stuff. And I said, oh, that's that's very interesting. But, you know, tell me more about why you think that. Um, what, what do you have that's based on? 
So it was a very interesting conversation. We went back and forth for probably 10 minutes and um, um, very nice gentleman. Uh, you know, I don't think I changed his mind right then, but definitely left him with something different to, to think about. So you think you changed your approach in terms of asking that question and of what made you think that in the past? Would you have maybe said, that's not true? What are you talking about? Absolutely. <laughs> so it sounds like the session is uh, pretty well-rounded and yes. all the stuff they, they work with you. That's great. Um, and can you just tell us a bit more about like what the classroom sessions look like and uh, what that is involved in there? Yeah, so um, there was somewhere about 40 of us, I believe, as participants in, in the program. There, you know, the classroom sessions, again, as we've talked, have had a, have a wide variety and um, most of it is, is quite informal, which um, generates a lot of discussion, which again is great because we all come from very, very different um, areas and, and um, you know, familiarities with, with different things. And so lots of discussion on that. Um, you know, whether the, the topics would be, you know, personalities or, um, you know, how to, how to talk to consumers. Um, some people in the group had a lot of experience with, with um, speaking to consumers and, and even media um, and others, uh, you know, hardly had any. So definitely very interactive sessions in the classroom. And even though it's called the Young Leader Program, not everybody that takes the program is actually young. I mean, you are, um, not to call you out on that, but um, what, I guess, did you learn from those other participants? And can you tell us a little bit about who they are and where they were from? Yeah, so definitely they weren't all young. I think there was uh, there was one guy that was close to 50, him and his wife. So um, I guess it depends on what your definition of young is, but definitely to me, uh, that's not young. Um, but but they bring a, a different level of, of experience, right? And so um, there was definitely a, a mix in the group. There was, there was big operators, you know, eight, 10,000 acre farmers, <clears throat> and there was actually several very small producers. So that was one thing I was shocked with. I thought uh, going, I would probably be, you know, uh, the smallest producer in the group by a long shot, but there actually was uh, quite, a, quite a mix there. Um, and the thing that really sh- shocked me was um, the diversity in the operations. Um, probably well over half of them have have livestock uh, incorporated in the, in their operations, um, which I was quite surprised because uh, you know often I think about the uh, the midwestern uh, U.S. grain farm and you just think of uh, acres and acres of uh, corn and, and soybeans and um, a, a lot of cattle involved, which was surprising. And uh, when you're applying for this program, um, there's you got to, uh, they ask you in your application process to reflect on the soybean industry and, and think about the future of it. So can you tell us a little bit about the issues you identified? Yeah, so trade was number one, yeah. um, which uh, I think is probably number one on everybody's list right now. It's probably uh, gotten even more important since you did the application. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Uh, and trade uh, definitely uh, generated some interesting conversations throughout the uh, program. Surprisingly, uh, talking to the participants down there, a lot of them... Uh, are very on on board with the tariffs because they they do feel it's uh, it's for the betterment of uh, the U.S. So even as soybean farmers that are being uh, uh, hurt financially, uh, a lot of the participants um, were, were still in support of the tariffs. Um, however, not not all were, um, and it uh, was definitely an interesting dynamic to see them talking talking about trade. And uh, one of our classroom sessions was with the uh, chief economic officer of the uh, of uh, Corteva. He provided some pretty valuable insight, and and you know the way the way it looks now with the uh, the length that the the trade war has gone on with the U.S. and China, the amount of soybeans that are sitting in the U.S. Even if they do resolve the trade issue, it'll probably still take a couple years to work through that that pile of soybeans. And that was quite an interesting um, dynamic to look at. That 
this uh, you know kind of short trade war so far um, has really going to have a probably a very long lasting impact over a few years, even if it's resolved soon. Uh, so that that was uh, definitely definitely highlights the the importance of trade, and and hopefully they can get back on track soon. And what about the development of like new soybean varieties? I think you talked a little bit about that as well. Yeah, so I know uh, at least in in my area, you know, if, if I look back at corn yields in you know the you know say the late '90s um, in Holman County. Um, we've we've pretty close to doubled them now in 20 years, um, and so it means definitely we we've, we've advanced the genetics. Uh, don't get me wrong at all, but uh, it's probably not fair to say we've doubled the the soybean yields in uh, the last 20 years, uh, at least in in my area in, in Holman County, right? And and maybe that's not genetics. Maybe some of that's uh, agronomics uh, and and other production issues as well. Um, but but definitely, I think it's. Uh, um, vital that we, we keep breeding and, and uh, improving the genetics on the soybeans. Great. And maybe you've touched on this a little bit, but throughout the course and what you learned uh, in doing this program, what do you think the soybean industry needs to remain stable uh, for the future and sustainable? Stable trade would be, would be definitely one for economic uh, sustainability, definitely. When you ask about stability and sustainability, I, I think about environmental as well. And, you know, as an agronomist, when I think about Soybeans. Soybeans are, are one that present us some environmental challenges when I look at the crop rotation. Um, you know, lack of residue, a lot of erosion, um, big issues with soybeans. And so I think as that becomes more of an issue in the, in the public eye and something we're going to have to be more aware of in the future, uh, we're going to have to look at, at, you know, better production systems with soybeans uh, from an environmental standpoint, uh, specifically on erosion and whether that's you know, integrating shorter shorter rotations, maybe with less soybeans or um, more diverse rotations, uh, or, or potentially even cover crops. So, on my own farm, I only grow soybeans one year in a row, typically, uh, just because of that that aspect. So, are you utilizing cover crops on your farm? Uh, so, what I do uh, typically is a straight corn soybean wheat rotation, and then um, so after soybeans, the wheat will go in right away, which essentially acts as a cover crop over the winter. Um, and then after wheat, I always will grow a cover crop, usually red clover, but, you know, it, it could be something else if the red clover doesn't make it or, or for various reasons. So, yeah. And so do you think, I guess, now with the sheep, and you said wanting to get some cheap feed for them, that perhaps you could incorporate some other plantings in that you could then use as feed? Is that sort of the plan? Yeah, so I don't know if I'm going to add uh, more, but definitely the cover crop after wheat um, has a lot of uh, ability to uh, make some feed. Um, so definitely going to capitalize a lot there. And then if you look at a, a corn crop, there's definitely a lot of uh, residue left behind um, that can definitely be translated to some feed as well. Uh, I have tried cover crops uh, in the corn, uh, like interseeding. Uh, not real positive experience. Um, and I, I'm not sure um, this is going to be long-term successful for me in my scenario, at least. So I'm not uh, too, uh, too keen on that at the moment. So... And what about with some of the other farmers you work with in your crop advisor capacity? Have they sort of got on board with the idea of using cover crops? Yes, definitely after wheat. Um, it, it's quite popular. The main thing I've seen a lot of customers transition to, to stronger rotations, um, probably before spending a lot of money on cover crops. So just, uh, you know, adding in the more diversity, shortening up the rotation, uh, you know, not as much double year soybean, stuff like that. And I think it's... it's uh, been quite economical for them to do so and probably as good or even better for the soil as just just trying to throw a cover crop in there 
um, to you know replace some some of those uh, rotations with uh, you know back-to-back soybeans and, and stuff like that. And um, just going back to the ASA Young Leader Program, um, I, I think that's a really good program. It seems that you took a lot away from it. If there's some an Ontario farmer that was interested in this program, can you just tell us a bit about sort of the time commitment um, into undertaking going into that program first? Yeah, so um, you go away for uh, two, two sessions that are approximately be gone for about five days at a time. So one's the end of November and then one's the... Uh, the end of uh, February, uh, around the, the time of the Commodity Classic. In the scheme of things, it's you know it's close to two weeks, but uh, both are in the winter. And um, to me, it wasn't uh, wasn't uh, a ridiculous amount of time to invest. And I think it was it was both during the uh, the weekday basically. So I was home for the the weekend with the family, and so um, yeah, it was was definitely a a bit of an investment, but well well worth it. And what would you um, say to someone that is a bit interested in it uh, to encourage them to attend the program? It's phenomenal. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a, a network op- networking opportunity like it elsewhere um, to, to reach um, a group like this that's uh, so diverse um, in, in geography um, and in experience. And also, I mean, the leadership skills uh, you'll, you'll develop there as well, which we've already talked about. Um, what, a, what a great opportunity. Uh, to do that as well. Um, very valuable and definitely would, would highly recommend it. And Aaron, you have a Twitter account. So if people want to follow you and uh, see what you're up to, how can they do that? Yeah, so my Twitter account is uh, Aaron McQueen 93 And uh, definitely uh, feel free to follow me there. Uh, typically posting about uh, agronomic things as I'm in the field throughout the growing season. Um, so definitely would be have, interested to have, uh, have you follow me. Great. Well, thank you, Aaron, for joining us today on our podcast and letting us know a little bit more about that ASA Young Leader program. Thanks again for having me. Joining us on the podcast this week is Barry Semph, CEO of Grain Farmers of Ontario. Thanks for being here this week, Barry. Thank you, Rachel. So the first thing that we want to talk about is the Commodity Classic. We did speak with Marcus Hurl, our chair, about his experience there, but why don't you give us your perspective on the meetings and conversations that were had during that conference? Well, another great meeting for, uh, for the U.S. Uh, commodity organizations. Uh, uh, attendance was uh, 9,000 plus to both the meetings and to the trade show that uh, occurs concurrent to the, uh, to the meetings. Uh, a highlight for that uh, for that conference for me is always the general session that happens Friday morning. Sonny Purdue, Secretary of Agriculture, again was a guest speaker, and he spoke to all the issues of you know facing uh, the commodity organizations uh, in relationship to their administration and to uh, the broader trade issue worldwide. So uh, again, a very informative meeting. Um, along with our meetings with our counterparts down there, wheat, corn, and soy. Uh, We've had the tradition of meeting with uh, those individual organizations over the last uh, seven or eight years, and those are also informative meetings uh, for them to understand the challenges that we have here in uh, Ontario and along with what's what's going on in the uh, U.S. from their perspective. So uh, all in all, just a, a really good meeting to be attending. 
And when we talk about political leadership and agriculture, here in Canada, we have a new federal minister of agriculture and agri-food, Marie-Claude Bebeau. Um, what's your impression of her so far? And what do you hope, um, I guess, what kind of relationship do you hope to foster with her? Well, she was, um, uh, Marie-Claude Bebeau was uh, announced in the uh, recent cabinet shuffle. Uh, Minister Macaulay moved on to Veteran Affairs. Uh, we were fortunate enough to be in Montreal at the Grain Symposium uh, for her to, to hear her speak at that uh, meeting. So that was her first official uh, uh, address to the, uh, to the agricultural industry. Uh, an impressive lady. I think it, um, it uh, you know, she's got a number of uh, an, uh, emphasis or uh, uh, issues on the agenda from the government that she needs to be uh, uh, fulfilling, along with coming up to the elections. So it will be interesting. She has a number of issues on, uh, on her uh, plate to be delivering on, and the government, one of interest to us uh, in a more immediate is uh, the issue that uh, uh, the application that Minister Hardiman has put forward on behalf of the province to the feds, and that's the Ag uh, Recovery Initiative from the uh, hurt that we had on, uh, on Dawn within the corn crop last fall, along with uh, the Business Risk Management Initiative that we have underway. And, of course, the trade issue uh, is utmost of concern, and, uh, you know, that, that's also along with the trade minister, of course, but we look to our minister to be advocating on our behalf to the trade minister and ensuring that these markets continue to remain open. Now, you mentioned that you heard her speak at the Canadian Crop Symposium last week. Can you tell us a bit more about that meeting? And I understand that canola was a big topic there. Yes, well, for a couple of reasons. One, the, uh, uh, the Grain Symposium has been in place for a number of years. This was the first year that they've uh, merged the meeting with the uh, Canola Council's AGM. So there was uh, uh, significant attendance uh, by the canola industry, and just by chance, uh, the Monday of, the, of this week, it was announced that China had, uh, had taken uh, or uh, pulled back their uh, uh, Richardson's export license of canola into, uh, into China, and that was significant. Um, that in itself was significant, but being in a meeting that uh, canola was so such a large part of, uh, it was uh, an issue both uh, in formal meetings and in the discussions in the hallway. So, uh, again, this whole issue of trade disruption, for whatever reason, is, of course, a concern whether we're involved in it directly or not. So, uh, a, a big concern to all those involved. Now, next week coming up, there's a, a big event that we're hosting, the March Classic. Yes, it's coming up on Tuesday. Uh, registration closed yesterday. Uh, we've got good numbers in pre-registration, but there is always room for people to walk up and register that morning. We've got a great lineup of speakers, and uh, we hope to see uh, a lot of our farmer members there, along with some of the uh, industry participants. It's uh, just lining up to be another great day for uh, March Classic. So if you're interested in coming to the March Classic taking place at the London Convention Centre, please go to gfo.ca to get all of those details. Thanks for joining us this week, Barry. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests today, Aaron McQueen and Barry Sempf. Help us grow our Grain Talk podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, iTunes reviews help us reach more people, so please leave one for us.